Well, good morning, Northridge. It's so great to have you here this weekend. Those of you in Plymouth, welcome. Guest regular attender. Those of you who are at Northridge Grosseal, Northridge Brighton, live with us right now. We're so excited that you're here. If you're a guest, welcome. And we have Northridge Celine going on right now as well. And I'm really excited about this, this series that we're in, Pictures of Christmas. And to get into it this weekend, I, I have a question. I, I'm curious. When you look at pictures, you know, someone shows you a, a picture they've printed or a picture on their phone or iPad. When you look at pictures, what's the very first thing you look at? Now, before you kind of, you know, speak in many different languages all at one time, um, let me ask a more specific question that I think can get you to raise your hand or not. How many of you would admit that if you're in the picture, you're the first thing you look at. Raise your hand. Yeah, now keep your hands up. Look around. Anyone without their hand up is a liar, right? You say, oh, I don't look at it. Yes, you're looking at ignoring it. I mean, you, you know you're in that picture. And I, I, I have to tell you, we've had, some, we've had some family tension over this thing about, you know, people picking out pictures that make them look good and everyone else look bad. I, I've learned that I can, I can honestly, when families send out Christmas pictures and Christmas cards, I can tell who in that family picked out the picture. They're looking wonderful, they're looking beautiful, everybody else like this, it doesn't matter. Because we look at ourselves first, that's, that's what makes a picture good or bad. I, we had one Christmas, our kids were small, I have three brothers and it was my side of the family and you know, my brothers and I with our wives and kids were gathered with my mom and dad, and, and they wanted a family picture, so we took it. And it turned out to be the picture my parents sent out with their Christmas card. And I'm telling you, it was, it was a nightmare picture. I mean, all of the kids were, like, drooling, hair all over the place, crawling, no one looking at the camera. The parents were all upset looking at the kids and all this different stuff. But there were my parents in the middle looking beautiful for their Christmas picture. <laughs> and it was like, oh, my gosh. We, we tend to look at ourselves first if we're in the picture. Now, if we're not in the picture, then we, we tend to focus on that which the photographer wanted us to focus on. You know, they'll focus their camera on a person or a group, or they'll focus it on some object, you know, some mountain or some uh, tourist thing that they're looking at. And, and because it's right there in the front center and the way they focused it, I mean, our nat you look at the picture, oh, there's Sue or there's Mount Everest. Well, I, it's like, that's what you go at. But, but once you've fully digested the object that was intended to be looked at in that picture, then you allow yourself to look at the fuller picture, right? You start looking at what's behind it and what's beside and what's on. You can even see, well, there's a dog at their feet. Oh, they're wearing orange shoes. I mean, you, you start seeing a fuller breadth of what's going on. And I know that I've looked at pictures from our younger days that, I mean, they've just been a part of our lives for a long time. And, and because I know what the objects are and I'm familiar with that, I'll look at other things and I'll, I'll be surprised at what I discover was going on when those things were happening that I never knew. I started even learning things about family experience from it. Well, this is exactly what's happened with me in regards to the pictures God's given us of the first Christmas. And it's true that God didn't send Polaroids into, into the present day of that first Christmas when Jesus was born and all that was going on, but, 
But in the stories he shared and the words he uses and, and the people he points out and the objects he highlights, we get a picture, the picture God wants us to have of that first Christmas. And it's true that he focused in on certain things and they become the obvious things that we see in this Christmas story. Uh, we, we, we see the obvious stuff like there's the star and the wise men and the, the gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see that? I mean, it's right out there. You, the manger's a big one. They, they took the baby and laid him in a manger, and that's, a, ooh, that's a, a standout part of one of the pictures he paints us. And there's, of course, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. But one of the big standouts is, you know, the angel pronouncing to Mary that she's been chosen of God. That's a standout moment, right? It's like, whoa, front and center in the Christmas story. And, and then the angel and, and the group of angels praising God about in front of the shepherds about the fact that Jesus was born and they could go and see him. And these are standout moments. They're in pretty clear focus. You see him. And when you read the Christmas story, when you look at the Christmas story, this is what stands out. This is why a lot of the songs center on those things. This is why a lot of the Hallmark cards we send center on these things. They're the obvious things. But for me, over time, I've, I've started looking beyond the focus material to the other aspects of the picture that God's painted. I've, I've started seeing other things, less obvious things, but also included in one way or another in the Christmas story. For example, I, I, started, seeing, I started seeing pretty clearly the no vacancy sign at the Holiday Inn in Bethlehem. Now, you know, now, and no room, those are pretty powerful words, but, you know, I kind of see that no vacancy thing going in the Holiday Inn. All right, I'm just trying to make the story more interesting for you, you know, kind of go along with me, right? But, but it, it gets further uh, developed for me when I look at the story of Christmas that, that there are some things not in the picture. For me, as I'm looking at the pictures that are painted and who's in the pictures, it, it ultimately started dawning on me that there's a glaring absence, I mean a glaring absence, of any of Mary's family members and any of Joseph's family members anywhere in the story. They're not there. And this is weird because... I mean, we, we today, like, uh, we celebrate holidays sometimes without our kids these days. We're in a very mobile world, and once they kind of get out of the home, when they're 40, 42 years old now, um, once they get out of the home, they, they were, the mobility of our world is they, they move to different places, like to our basement, that kind of thing. And, uh, but once they move out of the basement, they move to other states. I mean, we're very mobile. But, but in this day, they didn't do that. They... They would simply expand on the son's father's home and they would live all together in community. You, you couldn't see a young couple and their baby without seeing the grandparents and great-grandparents, the aunts and the uncles and all of that because they were a community, a family. And so you couldn't take a picture without seeing the entire family. And yet isn't it interesting in the Christmas picture? None of Joseph's and none of Mary's family are seen. There's some impact to that. As I look more fully at the Christmas picture, I, I realize that, that there's no one of note there to celebrate the birth of the King of Kings, the, 
promised Messiah of the world. No one of note from God's kingdom, from God's people, from God's prophets or teachers. No one of note. No one of celebrity. No one known. Not one rabbi or Pharisee. They're not there. They're not in the picture. To get anyone of semi-celebrity status, they, you have to go way, way east to some guys called the Magi. We're not even positive about who these dudes were. We just knew that they traveled a long way and they must have had, you know, money for a camel or two and they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but they're not from God's people. They're from out of town. It's crazy. And as well, they're... There really were very few people at all, only a couple of commoners, as they would be called, you know, not people magazine-worthy people, and they were only there because the angels showed up in the field one night and said, hey, you go a couple of blocks over here to hang a left, and Jesus is in a stable over there or whatever. And so it's like, it's weird, it's, it's weird. The king of kings is born, the one that God's been promising for a couple of millennia, the, the fulfillment of all of our desires is born, and no one's noticing. It's an interesting picture when you think about it. And it was these kinds of discoveries as I was looking at the pictures God's painted of Christmas that, that started impacting me spiritually in far, far deeper ways in my life. It's, it's some of these pictures that I'm trying to share with you in this series. And this weekend I want to point out a truth. It's a truth that God declared through the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, but it's a, it's a truth that is clearly portrayed in the Christmas story, but even though Isaiah said it straight out and the Christmas story pictures it clearly, most of us just don't understand it. Most of us miss God in our lives and miss all God wants for us, just like the majority missed Jesus in their lives and all that Jesus came to give them when he was on earth, because most people just don't understand this truth. And by looking deeply into the Christmas picture, this truth has come alive for me in new ways, and maybe it can for you too. And here's the truth. God's ways are not our ways. I mean, look at how Isaiah said it. I mean, he was inspired by God to share God's thoughts, and God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. In fact, this is how different your thoughts are from mine and how different your ways are from mine. As the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's saying we're not even in the same part of the universe. And he's literally saying back then it would have been, wow, he's, his thoughts and ways are as high as the heavens from ours, but now we've got technology and we have, we have um, ways to measure distances to the moon and to the stars and all these things. And you realize with all the technology that's been developed since this was written, we still have no idea how far the heavens go. I mean, just Google it. Your computer will break down. And God says... My ways are so vastly different than yours, and my thoughts are so vastly different than your thoughts that <clears throat> the span can't even be measured. And why is this important? It's important because most of us don't experience God because he doesn't fit into our understanding. Most of us don't experience God because 
He doesn't act in accordance with how we think he should act. He doesn't do for us what we think he should do. He doesn't behave as we would behave if we were in his position. And so we just start discounting the whole God thing altogether. If he's not going to do right like I would do right, then who needs him? The only problem is we're trying to make God like us. But God's ways are not our ways. And this Christmas story that we celebrate paints it very clearly. And I just want to show you some, some of the ways God is so much different than us that he clearly illustrates in the Christmas story. And I'll give you the principle. And then I'll actually show you how the Bible states it right out, but then how the Christmas story pictures it as reality. And then we'll talk about how relevant it is to us in our lives and how it should change us spiritually. Is that fair enough? All right. God's ways are not our ways. In the Christmas story, you discover that God, God uses problems to accomplish his will. God uses, now listen, God uses problems to accomplish his purposes. God's ways are not our ways. Because we have no use for problems whatsoever, am I right? In fact, most of our prayers are about Hey, if you're God, you'll get rid of these problems. In fact, I'll go to church this morning, but if the problem's not gone when I get back, I'll never go to church again. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to leverage our behavior and trying to leverage our activity and trying to leverage our service and trying to leverage our giving so that God will get rid of our problems. Like our genie and But that's, that's trying to lower God to our ways and our thoughts. But... God doesn't avoid problems. God uses problems to accomplish his will. One of the reasons we miss God so much is because we hate and avoid problems so much that we refuse to see the beauty of what God's doing even in that problem. Uh, just so you can see it in James 1, I mean, the stated principle. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it the highest of joy when you face problems. Yeah, that's what we do. And then God tells us why. Because you know that the testing of your faith is what develops character, perseverance. Perseverance then finishes its work in you so that you then start growing and maturing spiritually and start becoming complete in your expression of God's image in your life and, and you don't lack anything. Isn't it interesting? Our whole lives are a struggle to fill the lack we have. And God says, man, I'm going to tell you something. The way that I, I strengthen you and fill the lack in you and bring you to completion is through problems. And what do we do? We keep trying to find shortcuts through the problem, long ways around the problem, ways to get rid of the problem. No wonder we're not becoming all that God is wanting us to become. The Christmas story would have never occurred if, if they ran from their problems. It's one problem after another. I mean, look at the picture of Christmas. I'll just paint it for you. One problem after another. It starts with the virgin birth. Now, I know we don't hear virgin birth and think problem. I get that. We celebrate the virgin birth, the virgin birth like it's normal. The virgin birth. I will tell you, this is how Roxanne and I had our children. I think it's the only way a pastor should. He shouldn't do it the other way. 
And you're going, you're an idiot. I know, right? You wouldn't believe that. You wouldn't believe that if I tried to sell it to you with every ounce of ability I had. And yet, yet this is what Mary was forced to deal with. And we think of it as, a, as this wonderful gift. The virgin birth was a wonderful, miraculous gift, but it was couched in a nightmare. The angel shows up and says, hey, you know, God chose you out. Wrapped up a gift with a bow. You're going to have a kid. First of all, those of you who have had kids, you ladies, you're going to go, thanks for the gift, right? It's like, Pfft. but, But then he said, and... And it's going to be virgin born. I've never known a man. God's doing something miraculous for you. Now, by the way, a lot of people have a problem with this. They don't understand this. If God can speak the world into existence, he can certainly create a baby through a virgin. I mean, it's not a problem when it comes to understanding who God is. But why did he do it? Do you realize that if Jesus had been born in the normal way, he would have been as corrupted by Adam's sin as all of us are? And how can one become a sacrifice for others' sin if they're just as corrupt? The sacrifice for sin had to be a lamb without blemish, a lamb without reproach, a lamb of perfection. And so God created this unbelievably profound way. He would create himself in full humanity through the woman created in his image. But, but he would miraculously conceive this child in and through her so that Adam wouldn't corrupt it, do you see? And so he was the lamb without blemish. It's a beautiful gift, but it was a nightmare because imagine, you know, when she went to Joseph and said, hey, we're gonna have a baby. And he goes, I don't remember being so drunk, I'd forget about that. And he was going to ditch the whole thing. Good guy, but he was going to say, I'm not into this. And you need to know, don't interpret this through 21st century culture. In that culture, if you had sexual intimacy outside of marriage, you were ostracized from the entire community. You were considered to have lost all of your rights of dignity and morality and of value as a human being. And so Joseph was going to... You know, but then an angel showed up and said, dude, <laughs> jeans halfway down his butt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> dude, God really did this. And Joseph goes, whoa. You've just got to know the original languages to read the Bible appropriately, I'm telling you. And, and, and then... And, but here's what, you, here's what you need to realize. The angel didn't go to mom and dad. Joseph would have been out of that picture if the angel hadn't come and said, look, it, she's pure. This is the real deal. God did this thing. But the angel didn't go to mom and dad Mary and mom and dad to Joseph, didn't go to the communities, didn't go to the rabbis, didn't go to the synagogues, which means... There was no way they were buying this story. Which means Joseph and Mary were going to be fully rejected. Why were there no family members in the picture of the first Christmas? Because they had rejected these two sinners. God caused this problem. 
Not only was he responsible for the virgin birth, but he could have sent an angel to everyone involved in their lives, right? He could have eliminated every ounce of the problem, but he didn't. Because, you see, God uses problems to accomplish his will because he knows it's not through the rosy sunshine days of life, but it's through some of these great problems that we ultimately become people of character and mature and complete and people of faith. And Mary and Joseph kept trusting him one problem after another. And it wasn't just the virgin birth, you know. I mean, here she is at full, almost full term. We're not exactly how many days they were in Bethlehem before she gave birth, but we know that the traveling there happened in full-term fashion. And the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem is, I'll just be conservative, was 80-plus miles. And it wasn't a convenient journey. A lot of people think they wrote, she rode a donkey. First of all, if you're late-term pregnancy, if you think riding a donkey is like the comfortable way to go, but more than likely, the donkey carried the supplies, and she had to walk these 80-plus miles. And because there, there were no KOAs to stop and camp at, there were no holiday inns. They were sleeping along the journey out in the wilderness. And so you didn't want to do that long, so you would travel as far as you could. So they were traveling 15 to 20 miles a day to get there in four or five days. And it wasn't an easy trip because it was uphill from Jericho on, I mean significantly uphill and rocky. They didn't create bicycle paths for these people to walk on or sidewalks. It was a mess. And she had to take this trip. The manger is a clear indication that the birthing conditions weren't ideal. We don't know exactly. We say stable, but we, don't, we know it wasn't in that inn. And if they're laying the baby in an, uh, uh, the feeding trough of an animal some kind of barn thing you would think. It's certainly not a birthing room with a rocking chair and, you know, a decision of whether or not you want to get anesthesia. And then they had to flee to Egypt because Herod was going to kill the baby. God had them flee, so they had to flee home and job and everything they knew to become nomads. You didn't see that on the Hallmark card this year, did you? But this is the picture. And this one problem after another is what the birth of Jesus involved. And here's where it's relevant to us. We all experience problems. But most of us allow those problems to have a negative impact on us. Most of us allow those problems to to cause us to begin questioning God, separating from God, being disappointed with God, bitter with God, angry with God, and closing ourselves off a little bit more to God because he's not doing what he should be doing in our lives because the way we see it, he's failing us. The problem is God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we have to understand that that problems shouldn't cause us to turn away from God and lose faith in God because problems are a part of life whether we follow God or not. But God can use problems to accomplish his will. So if we're going to know and experience God's purpose for our lives and the fullness of God's promises in our lives, we have to learn to trust him and to look for the good even in our seasons of problems. 
That's why Romans 8.28 is such a powerful passage. And we know that in all things God works for good for the lo- those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. He, he doesn't say all problems are good, but he works for good even through those problems. And so can I just give you one of the lessons I've learned from looking deeper into the Christmas picture? Instead of running from our problems, we should begin looking for God in them. Because he's right there. You realize we'd never have the Christmas story if these people ran from their problem instead of running to God in the midst of the problem. I believe with all of my heart some of you have pushed away from God, pulled away from God, put a little bit of a wall up between you and God because you've been so disappointed with what he has or hasn't done in your lives. And I just want you to remember God's ways are not your ways. And all the great stories, all the great pictures that God creates in our lives involve problems. Don't run away from him, run to him. There's another beautiful principle that, that proves that God's ways are not our ways in the, in the Christmas story, and it's the fact that God uses the ordinary to accomplish his will, the ordinary. And this is really good news because we live in a world that celebrates the extraordinary. The extraordinary person, the extraordinary leader, the extraordinary celebrity, the extraordinarily rich person, the extraordinarily happy. You know, I mean, everything's about the extraordinary. I mean, go buy People magazine. If it was ordinary people, it would no longer exist as a magazine. TMZ has never talked about you, right? It's all is extraordinary, extraordinary. The, and so it makes us feel like, you know, God can't use me. God doesn't pay attention to me. God doesn't know what's going on in my life. God's deserted me because, you know, who am I? I don't even get kicked. I don't even get picked for kickball on the playground. But it's a misunderstanding because remember, God's ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. God uses the ordinary. In fact, let me be a little bit more personal. God chooses the ordinary. He's not looking for extraordinary. He's looking for us, ordinary. The Christmas pictures are clear, right? Let me just paint them for you. Jesus came to earth. Now remember, this is the, this is the one who created the world. He created the universe. How did he come to the world? I, as a baby who needed to be diapered. I mean, you know why people had a hard time believing this is God? It's because they're going... I don't think God can be a drooling baby. But the truth is God uses the ordinary to accomplish his will. Jesus was born in a stable. Uh, at least I, I'm going to say that. I mean, I can't prove it was a stable, but I know it was where there was a cow trough or an animal feeding trough. So Jesus was born somewhere in a place where animals were fed. pretty common, right? Je- Jesus, earthly parents were commoners. I mean, if we were right, God's ways aren't our ways, God's thoughts aren't our thoughts. If we, were, if we were creating this moment, wouldn't we have, like, birthed Jesus into Caesar's palace or something? I mean, come on, be, be honest. No, we wouldn't have done Yes, we would have. We're not putting him in a manger. 
We're not, and you, look at all vocations are awesome and all people are awesome and values all over all this different stuff. But in this particular culture, someone who was a carpenter was not considered of a great value. They were considered lowly, less valuable, common. And I'll prove it to you. Look at Matthew 13, verse 55. That Jesus, they were saying, was the Son of God, the Messiah. And look at how they were saying, no way could this be true. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, that simpleton? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? You, you know, they're going, how could this guy be anything special to God when he's a carpenter's son? You know what they're doing? They're, they're thinking like people think. There is another nobody. But God uses and chooses nobody's. Doesn't that change your view? Now we can't say, God would never use me. God would never choose me. God would never care about me. Yes, he would. If you're ordinary, that's exactly what he wants. To he uses. To he chooses. I think this really encourages me. And, and Jesus began adulthood himself as a carpenter. Mark 6, 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And then look at what they said. And they took offense at him that he would claim to be anything special for God in this world when he was a carpenter is an offense. But that's thinking like people think, and that's doing like people do. That's not thinking like God thinks and doing as God would do because God values all people, which means, get this, God values you. The relevance to us is simple. We tend to miss God in the ordinary. Now listen to me. We tend to miss God in the ordinary. In the routine of our daily lives, we, we don't even look for him. But more often than not, God is in the ordinary. That's where he specializes with his work. You want to see a great, great promise? Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven, and there's one thought he wants to leave. He says, surely I am with you, what? Yeah. If we're going to know and experience God's purposes and the power of his promises in our lives, we have to learn to look for him and include him in our everyday lives. And this isn't how we are by nature. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. I, I tend to, in my life, beg God to create special moments for me. Now, this is why some people at the, at the minimum, they, they, like, they only look for God when they come to church. I think I'll go to church this week because I really need a heavy dose of God. Choose your churches carefully, by the way, right? You might want not to come here next week. I mean, you never know what I'm going to say. But it's a thing. It's like we look for church to be, like, we jump from church to church, church service, so that we can, oh, I'm inspired again, I'm inspired, I'm inspired again. And, or, or if it's not the church thing, it's, it's you know, when's God going to send a Goodyear blimp by that says, it's me, it's me, it's me. You know, we look for these special moments. By the way, if God sent a Goodyear blimp to you and said, it's me, it's me, it's me, you'd go, that's just a Goodyear blimp. We miss him all the time. And we have to stop looking for God in the special moments because we need to look in moments like this one. 
It was a normal, ordinary thing, a woman having a baby and few people there to celebrate it. And yet this is where God was changing the world. I, I really need to encourage you, if God isn't in, if God isn't a part of your everyday life, he's not a very important part of your life at all. Because you see, God is at work every day, every moment. And surely I'm with you always, do you see it? Can change our lives. There's another principle that jumps out of the Christmas story for me, and that's the fact that God uses anyone who makes themselves available to him. God uses anyone who makes themselves available to him, who opens themselves up to him. I mean, the Christmas pictures are, are clear, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of positive ones where they opened their heart and made themselves available, and even though they were the unlikely ones, God used them. And then there were the other people who are the negative examples. They closed their heart, and they weren't available, and even though they were the likely ones, they didn't get used. It's just the way it works. For example, I mean, the positive example, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, these, these are, they opened themselves and made themselves available, but they weren't likely. I mean, the world rejected them because who are these people? And then there the, were the likely ones, but they closed themselves off and they were unavailable. The Herods, the religious leaders, the Roman officials, most of them rejected, like Pilate, and, and even the masses of ordinary people. The masses of ordinary people were totally unaware of Jesus being born. They missed the greatest event in the history of humanity. And can I just tell you, please, lay that picture over our world today. The same thing's happening today. It's not that God isn't working. It's that most of us are just missing it. I have people ask me all the time, how come God's not doing amazing stuff today like he was doing then? I mean, virgin birth, angels, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Cool. I'm going to tell you something. You know what people were asking in that day? Why isn't God doing amazing stuff today like he was doing in the days of the prophets? He was changing the world, and they were going, where's God? And the same thing's happening today. I'm going to tell you, God is still working. God is still active. God is still present. God is still revealing himself, and God is still doing amazing things. The problem today is the problem back then. Most of us are closed and unavailable, but God will use anyone who's open and available. Aren't you amazed at some of the people God uses in this world? I am. I'm going... My gosh, how are they doing that? And I'll tell you how. They've opened their life to him. They've made themselves available. And God can do God-like stuff through anyone who's available. He's working. And we just have to be open. And so here's the question. How about us? This last week, were you looking for God and the routine and the ordinary and the normal? Were you looking for God and the problems you were encountering, encountering and realizing that 
our problems a reason to run to him instead of push him away and run away from him? This last week, were you just every day just opening yourself up to God and making yourself available? Maybe these are the reasons we're not experiencing him in our story. The, the Christmas story is like any other story. Most missed him. A couple of people experienced him because they looked for him. The relevance to us is that if we're going to know and experience God's purpose for our lives, we have to develop this attitude of openness and availability. You say, what does that look like? Well, I think one of the great stories that helps me is the story of a little kid named Samuel who became a great prophet. He was dedicated to God's service, but he really didn't know much about God at the time. And, you know, God was trying to speak to him. And so he's a little kid in bed, living in the temple, serving with the, the prophet at the time. And, he, and God shows up and goes, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel went to the prophet and says, yeah, what do you want? And the guy said, I didn't call you. And so Samuel hears the voice again and comes to Eli and prophet and says, what do you want? He goes, I didn't, I didn't call you. And finally, the, the prophet figures it out and goes, God's trying to get a hold of you. And so when God speaks, just say, I'm listening. And so look at, if you would, 1 Samuel 3.10. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. And God used this guy to change his world. I think every day as we open God's word and every day as we walk through life, we should be saying, God, speak. I'm listening. God, work because I want to join you Help me to see what you're doing and help me to join you at it. Help me to understand what you're doing and help me to come alongside. Speak, for your servant is listening. The truth is God's ways are not our ways. And so there's an application to this whole thing, I think. If we're going to know and genuinely experience God's purpose and promises unfolded into our lives, then we must be willing. Listen, this is important. We must be willing to learn and adjust to his ways because his ways are not our ways. If we don't listen for and learn and then adjust to his ways, we're going to keep missing him like we have been most of our lives. One day, God's going to tell the unbelievable stories that he was doing in our day. And the question is, will we have been at the center of those pictures or will we be nowhere to be seen in those pictures? And it all boils down to whether or not we adjusted our lives to his ways or not. Look at Hosea chapter 14, verse 9. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. What are the things that make us wise and discerning? When we understand that the ways of the Lord are right, the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. God's ways are not our ways, but the righteous walk according to his ways and not their ways. It's the rebellious that don't. 
We get in trouble because we keep doing what comes naturally to us. And Romans 12, 2, I think, is the, is the great synthesis of this truth for us. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Stop thinking like ordinary human beings. Stop thinking that how you do it is the way God should do it. And instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let his ways and thoughts reshape you. And then when you do, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Good, pleasing, and perfect. Do, do you realize the reason we don't experience the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is because we're nowhere close to it, and we're nowhere close to it because we keep doing our ways and thinking our thoughts instead of making the adjustment. And so when I look at this story, I'm inspired, and I want to encourage and inspire you. If you want to genuinely know and experience God, then here are a couple of action steps. Why don't you begin making yourself available to him every day? God, here I am. In the midst of this problem, in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of this junk, in the midst of this stuff that I hate, in all of this darkness, with Mary, with Joseph, with the shepherds, I, I'm, I'm available. Speak for your servant, listen. That'd change your world. You really want to know and experience God. Why don't you begin making him a part of your everyday life? Don't just wait for Sundays. Don't just wait for those clearly miraculous moments. Do you know how a moment becomes miraculous? When someone allows God to express himself through them in that moment. Why not make this week a week of miraculous moments? when God is working in and through us and helping us to see what we can't see on our own. Make yourself available to him every day in every moment, at work, at home, in your community. You see, it's not about living for God. It's about living with God. Living for God is hard work, and we can never measure up, measure up, but living with God means that he's empowering, he's motivating, he's encouraging, he's strengthening. He's the author of the virgin birth. And finally, if we're going to know God, then we need to, we need to begin trusting him. And we need to begin looking for his good in everything. I don't know what you've been complaining most about lately, but I know I have my seasons of great complaint. But why don't we this week turn that thing we've been complaining most about into the thing that is causing us to look for him the most. And I think it will change our world. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to pray to close the service. And when I pray to close the service, um, obviously, it will be time to be moving forward. And so before I pray, I just want to tell you, I believe that God's doing a big work in a lot of people's lives here just like he's been doing in mine as I've kind of rehearsed these truths and and I just want you to know and this is true there at Northridge Brighton Northridge Grosseal it's true at Celine and it's true here in Plymouth that we have a prayer team that when the service is over they're down front and they're here to pray with you they're here to answer questions they're here to help you to know what it means to to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus and I just really want to encourage you 
after the service is over, come down front if you want someone to pray with you or you have questions spiritually and let them help you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this moment in time. I pray that the Christmas story would come alive to us in new ways. Help us to understand that your ways are not our ways, but your ways are always right, and help us to trust you. And we'll thank you for creating new and eternal stories through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before I hand this off to the campus pastors, I'm going to hand this off to Colston and Grosseal and to Wayne and Brighton. And uh, just before I pass this off, I, I really want to encourage you, next weekend is Christmas weekend. December 19th to 20th. We won't be having a Christmas Eve service, so our whole Christmas celebration is happening next weekend. The times are the same here in Plymouth. We have Saturday at 5 and Sunday 9 and 11. Times are the same in Grosseal, 9 and 11. Times are the same in Brighton at 11. But it's going to be a very special service, so I hope that you'll be inviting everyone you can to come celebrate Christmas with us at Northridge next weekend. All right, with that, I'm passing it off to you campus pastors at our regional campuses. And for those of you here in Plymouth, thank you for coming. It is such a privilege being a part of your lives, and I hope that God's used this weekend to make a difference and be inviting people next week. See everyone. Thank you.